Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. I will warn you that during this next conversation, we had some issues with the audio quality. However, we still want to share this story with you because it's so powerful. Folks, imagine being told by a doctor that if you get pregnant, there's a good chance you will die. And then you get pregnant. This is exactly what happened with Crystal and her husband, Bryce Harris. And while you're pregnant, you are told that due to your congenital heart defect, that you have a 50-50 chance of living. So the night before you were scheduled to have a C-section, you write two letters, one to your husband and one to your unborn child in case you don't wake up. And thank God those letters were never delivered. Wait until you hear this story. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. So what's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> A distant second. <laughs> totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book, honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinStuff.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. All right, Steph, are you ready for this next conversation, this well, next story? I am ready because you've kept me in the dark, I and have. I hate being kept in the dark. I've done that intentionally, okay? But I You said it's going to be worth it. It is. I want to warn you to buckle up because this story is about to floor you. Okay. Just I'm excited. Giving you a warning, this. okay? Let's do this. All right. Friends, for the very first time on Tell Us a Good Story, we get the opportunity to speak with a husband and wife from Lexington, Ohio. They've been married for 12 years and have a son named Camden, who was a miracle baby almost 10 years ago. Their story has been featured in the Columbus Dispatch and some of the local news stations here in Ohio. And today, we have the privilege of hearing it on our podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Bryce and Crystal Harris. Welcome, you guys. I'm ready for this. Hello, friends. Thank you for saying yes to us. Thank you. It's an honor. Well, first off, I want to give listeners some context of how we connected with you two. Okay. And so you may not know this, right? But we are close friends with your pastors, right? At Storyside Church. And we were out to dinner with pastors Mike and Angel Palkey probably a month ago, three, mm -hmm. four weeks ago. 
And they had asked us about our podcast and our weekly radio show and how it was going. And so we were just sharing with them how things were going. And he's, he immediately said, you know what? I have a family in my congregation I would love for you to talk to. And I was like, okay, good. Tell me about him. So he shared a little bit, just a little bit about your story. And I was like, I would love to talk to them. So he connected me. We to, would love to talk to them. We would That's love right. to talk to you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. So Pastor Micah connected me with Crystal via Facebook, right? And introduced us via, via Messenger. So thank you for saying yes to us. We are honored to have you share this story with Steph and I. And Crystal, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to start basically with the diagnosis that you had as a child. So I was diagnosed between the ages of two and three with a congenital heart defect. There was some testing um, early on when they realized that something wasn't quite right. I thought I had cystic fibrosis. Um, I think there were, I had several stints in the hospital with pneumonias until they finally nailed down what was wrong. And I was followed at a nationwide children's hospital, which I think it was just children's hospital in Columbus at that time. And I had appointments every year, you know, for them to do EKGs and all the, you know, blood work, all that kind of stuff. And they told my mom very early on that I would probably only live to be about 10 years old. They told my mom that if I had lived, if I lived past 10 years of age, I would probably need a heart and double lung transplant. So I eventually did end up on a heart lung transplant list uh, for three years when I was around 20 or 21. There were a lot of things that kind of came along with my diagnosis. So it's not just the heart and lungs. So what was your family like growing up once you got to age 10? Okay. Was it like every birthday was like, okay, we had one year more with Crystal or had the diagnosis and stuff changed? Or was it like you're playing with house money every birthday you had after the age of 10? What was your family like? I don't really think that it was like a celebratory thing, like, yay, we have one more year. But I, I'm i not going to say it was the favorite, but attention was always on me because I was always so sick. So it sort of became a game to me to prove doctors wrong and everything that I could do very early on in life. <laughs> yeah. So you So you got to your 20s and you had to have a transplant, right? No, I actually was listed. For the okay. Yep. Okay. So um, I started getting pretty sick as I got older. My condition started to deteriorate and I was actually on oxygen 24 seven at that point in time. And the doc, I lived in Philadelphia at the time and the doctors were like, you know, your condition is really bad now. You know, you're requiring oxygen. You're not able to work. You're not able to walk certain distances. Your oxygen levels are in the seventies. Like this just is not a good thing. And so when they listed me, they listed me at the top of the list. And, you know, I don't know how much you guys know about transplants, but it's not just going in, taking a new heart and new lungs off of a shelf and they just work and you go on about your life. It's a lot of stuff afterwards. And so it was kind of difficult for me to accept the fact that my entire life was going to change. Because not only was I going to get somebody else's heart and lungs, somebody had to die for me to live. And it was it was really difficult realizing that that was what was going to happen. And I just really came to a point where I was ready because I was so tired. I was so sick. 
I was actually married to a guy in the military at the time and we had, we lived in Pennsylvania um, and he had gotten orders to San Diego, California. So we moved to California and that meant I had to move from the East coast transplant list to the West coast transplant list. So they had this all together and ready when I got there. I literally got there and the very next day I met with the transplant team there and they knew all about me. They had everything they needed. And I moved from the top of one list to the top of their list. So I had gotten to a point when I got to California and got to the doctor's office, they had drawn blood and they called me. I went on a Friday. They called me on a Saturday morning and said, I need you to pack a bag and meet me at the emergency room. And I'm like, okay. I got there and my blood was so thick. They couldn't believe I hadn't had a stroke. So they were, the doctor came in. It was so interesting. It was the first time I met this guy or the second time I met this guy. He came in and he was like trying to basically how you would donate blood. He was trying to get me to donate blood, but it wouldn't come out because it was so thick. Oh my so he gosh. was pulling blood off of my IV line with 10 cc syringes. And by the time one would fill, the previous one was clotted already. So he was just in awe, like trying to figure out how in the world I, number one, hadn't had a stroke. And number two, how I was still alive. It was at that point in time that I had asked them, "Is I heard that there's this medication out there. Can I try it? And I had asked in Philadelphia before they put me on the transplant list. And they had told me that my disease process was too far progressed that it wouldn't work and they weren't even really willing to entertain the idea. And so I asked this doctor and he said, you know, I'm inclined to agree with them, but we'll try anything. If this is what you want to do, we'll try it. So we tried it. And within three months or so, I was in nursing school. I was doing well. And then I was on the transplant list still waiting for three years. And I went into the doctors one day and he goes, Hey, I just want to say goodbye. And I was like, are you leaving? Like what's happening? He was like, no, he's like, you don't meet transplant criteria anymore. He's like, we're taking you off the list. And I'm like, fantastic. Wow. <laughs> so that wow. was miracle. Like, I don't know, 10 in my life. <laughs> okay. Goosebumps right now. At this point, life is good, right? So you are a new medication. Somehow you meet this uh, dream man to your immediate left, right? So Bryce comes into the picture here at some point, right? So how, how did you guys meet then? Well, that's an even better story. <laughs> we actually went to high school together. Okay. Um, and we, I don't think he really knew I was alive. But I thought he was way out of my league. So I didn't even have the guts to talk to him. <laughs> Steph um, felt the same way with me. I really it was really, really, really awkward. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we actually ended up through a friend started talking about a year after we graduated high school and we dated for about like three months or so. And then we were just young and we realized that we weren't, you know, going to settle down or whatever. It was mainly him. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, he did his thing and then I ended up leaving and then I went and met somebody else and got married. So that was like a whole different life. So when I got back, um, after I was removed from the transplant list and everything, um, it was actually shortly after that, that I ended up getting divorced. 
So I moved home to Ohio to be with my family and my friends and everybody that I actually knew. And we ran into each other, actually looked him up on Hold Your Breath. Not Facebook, but MySpace. MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. So I looked him up on MySpace and we went on a date and we picked up like right where we left off. It's like nothing had changed. You know, when we connected with each other, it wasn't by coincidence. It was definitely it was definitely meant to be, especially based off of the way that we just picked right back up where we left off you know, from previously dating, but it was in that, like that moment, that first weekend when we went out on a date and we got together, I knew, like, I, I specifically remember going back to work that next Monday and telling my boss that I spent the weekend with the woman that I was going to marry. Oh. Um, so I knew in that moment, and this was... I was not trying to get yeah. married again, by the way. So once you got married... How long until your marriage until the topic of children come up, right? Because Crystal, you've already made it very clear to Bryce, probably on the first date, right? That, hey, just so you know, (laughs) if this works out, we're probably not having kids, right? So once you're married, how long into it until you're like, okay, I I really feel like we want to start a family or at least try to start a family. How, How did that play out? So again, when we first got married, we weren't living for God. We were kind of crazy and partying and, you know, drinking and everything else. So it really wasn't the first thing on my mind at that point. We were just having fun together and living our lives and whatnot. And it kind of started really creeping up and I started feeling a void when we were getting invited to like our friends, kids birthday parties and seeing, you know, kids around, you know, at parks or the mall or whatever, it really started creeping up because I did foster care with my ex-husband because, you know, he knew that I couldn't have kids and whatnot. And we weren't going to touch the waters or whatever, you know, because we were just told, no, absolutely. Do not attempt it. You need to go on birth control. Like it's not even a question. And so we just kind of let it go. Well, when I really started getting those feelings again, I, you know, I talked with him and he's like, hey, that, I, I don't know about this. Like, I don't want to be responsible for your death by trying to, you know, give you a kid. He's like, you know, I understand that you want a kid. He's like, I'm fine with just having you. But I, um, I just felt this, this void and I just always felt, when, you know, when you're a little girl, you would know, <laughs> you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be a mom. Like you play baby dolls. You just want to be a mom. And I just always felt that like innate feeling like I, I have to take care of babies. I want a baby. So when we finally started having the discussions again, so we went, did the testing and they're like, you absolutely can get pregnant. You've got eggs. Like you really need to be on something. He goes, you need to be on birth control. We need to get something nailed down. What you're going to be on before you leave this office. If you get pregnant, you will die. And I looked at him and I was so upset. I remember crying and I kind of put my hand on his desk and I leaned over and I said, you're not God. You can't determine that. So when I went to the, the um, high risk OB doctors, we literally walked in his office first before we did the exam. And we sit down 
and he like opens my chart and he's like, so he's like, you want to have a baby, huh? Just nonchalant. And he was very dry. <laughs> he was very dry. And I'm like, yeah, we do, but we can't. And he goes, I think we can make this happen. And I'm like, do you have the right chart? He's like, yeah, Crystal Harris, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm, that's me. He says, I think with the right medicines and the right follow-up care and everything, he's like, we could totally make this happen for you. And, like, he and I were just, like, dumbfounded. Like, I didn't know what to say. Like, I kind of was like, hold on, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, I've talked to all these other people at all these hospitals in all these big cities, and they're all saying no. And then all of a sudden, this guy that I'm just meeting now is like, yes. But, I mean, it literally was, what, a week, maybe, not even, before we got into Dr. Daniels, which is the cardiologist that, okay, so I have, a, I have a hierarchy of men in my life. So, it goes. Wait, we just froze. Suffered. We just froze. Oh, wait, 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 wait. This was such a good part. This was such a good part. You froze. You froze. You completely okay. froze. Right. And you're like, I have some men in my life. And then there, you said and a hierarchy. Nothing. <laughs> we got nothing. We're like, oh. Like, was it God? Was it Jesus? Who, was who's the main person? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Am I still frozen? No. no you're good. You're good. Okay. So, yes, my hierarchy is, is God, of course, then my husband, and then Dr. Daniels. Like, he's like, right, this man, I'm telling you, I can't say enough good about him. He ran test after test after test after test. And when we, right before we were ready to leave, he's like, well, he said, this is going to be a tricky one. He's like, but I've done this before. And he says, you haven't lost a mom or a baby yet. And he's like, if this is something that you really, truly want to do, he's like, I think we can help you out. So you made a decision. We're moving forward. We're going to try to have a baby. And what happened then? We got pregnant almost immediately. And it was so funny because I remember calling them and he's like, did you wait till you got out of the parking lot? (laughs) 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 Um, But honestly, I think I was actually pregnant when I was in his office that day and we just didn't know yet. It just didn't show up yet. I mean, it was wow. Yeah. And then it ended as soon as it began because I miscarried shortly after. And that shook me to my core because I felt like God was playing a game with me. Like I was like, really? Like how all this time I'm told no. And then finally I get a yes. And then you dangle it in front of me and now it's gone. Like why? And that happened three more times. So we lost four babies. Mm. So Crystal, were the doctors telling you if you got pregnant, there's a 50-50 chance you may not live. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. So what was your family saying then when you got pregnant, you had multiple miscarriages, doctors are saying, hey, listen, it's, it's 50-50 that you'll even live if you do have a baby. What, what was your family's position on this? My family was very, very worried. My friends were terrified. And I had had people tell me that it was selfish of me to to even attempt it because there was that chance that I was going to die and then leave my husband with a baby, which I totally understand what they're, what they're saying. I, I get it. I don't know why I miscarried. The, uh, the doctors don't really know why I miscarried so many times. 
but it was it was very interesting because our our OB had said something to the effect of, you know, we're not in charge of life and death. And he's like, you know, it's amazing that a woman and a man can come together and create a new life. He's like that in and of itself is a miracle. He's like, people don't realize what a miracle these two tiny things come together and make a human being, you know? And for him to say that it was really cool. And it just kind of matched up with, I guess what came to us as, we're not in charge of this at all. So we laid it down. And shortly after that, I found out that I was pregnant again. And that was with Camden. And this time I didn't let myself get excited because I knew I was going to miscarry again. I just had it in my mind. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play this. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to go. I'm not buying outfits. I'm not getting excited. I'm not telling anyone nothing. I told him on a Sunday morning before church and I told one girl at church that day and we kept it for quite a while before we told anybody. And it was 12 weeks to the day that I started bleeding again. And I was like, here we go. And from that moment, I went to the doctor and suddenly the bleeding got worse and got worse. And um, they did an ultrasound and they're like, your placenta is not completely attached. So basically you have a 50 50 chance of miscarrying so it's either going to completely attach or it's going to completely detach and you're going to lose the baby like that's all we can tell you the plan was at 25 weeks they were going to hospitalize me and start me on what i call the miracle drug is remodulin and what remodulin is is basically a vasodilator it opens the vessels in your lungs to create less pressure and it makes the heart not have to work this hard basically. So I was there for three weeks still having ultrasounds and they did an ultrasound on a Thursday, my very last ultrasound that I'd had. And they came back in and they said, we looked at your very last ultrasound and we've discussed it with the team. And I think we're going to need to take the baby tomorrow. And I'm like, tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, but I'm only 28 weeks. And they're like, it's safer for him out here than it is for him in there. Number one, Camden was so tiny, like he hadn't grown from the week before. So that's how they knew he wasn't getting enough oxygen. I had some reversal in the cord blood. Um, so that obviously wasn't a good sign. He was breached. So I wouldn't have been able to anyways. And just if they had tried to induce me, he wouldn't have dropped because he was so tiny. So they're like, it's a more controlled environment. We're going to do this under general anesthesia. Um, we're going to take the baby and, you know, things will be, things will be better that way than risking you trying to deliver and all of that. So Bryce gets there. He calls Pastor Micah um, and he's like, hey, they're, you know, they're going to take the baby tomorrow. They made plans. Pastor Micah, Pastor Adam, several men had come up that next morning at like, I don't know, 5 a.m. to be with him, to be support for him, to pray with us and everything. But that night before, I could not sleep. And it was so weird. I walked the halls the entire night. He's sleeping like nobody's business in the chair. I was a wreck because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm going to be a mom. He's going to be a dad. 
this is really happening. Like they said, this wasn't going to happen. I've made it this far. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is really happening. Like this could be my last night on this earth. And it, it, just, it just hit me. I was like, Oh my gosh. And while he was at work that day, I had written um, a letter to him and to Camden. I had to write them just in case I didn't make it through. I needed him to know that I was proud of him. and He was going to be a good dad. And I didn't want him to blame himself if I died because I knew we had that discussion before. Um, and I needed Camden to know who I was. I knew that Bryce would tell him who I was. Um, but I needed him to understand one day why I did what I did. That next morning, um, they came in super early um, to prep me and get me ready. And Pastor Mike and everybody was there. And everyone um, met around my bed and prayed over me. And um, they're like, are we ready? And I'm like, let's do this. And when I went in, um, <laughs> that fight, the fight of my life started when they started to put me to sleep. Cause you know, they have you count, you know, start from 99 and count backwards. I started counting backwards and I remember hearing <laughs> the obstetrician go, are we ready? And the anesthesiologist is like, no, <laughs> and oh, I'm no. still counting and I'm fighting it and fighting it. He's like, are we ready? No. He's like, Crystal, just close your eyes. Okay. Because there was something in me like this might be the very last time that I ever see anybody like this is this is it. So how long was your wife asleep, Bryce? Uh, I believe it was Dr. Colombo came in. Um, he's the one that did the actual delivery. He came in to let me know like everything went good uh, and everything. And probably less than five minutes after that, uh, a whole team of the NICU doctors, nurses, and everybody pretty much came bursting out of the OR with Camden and the Isolette uh, in transit, taking him over to the NICU, um, which that process alone was probably one of the coolest things that I've experienced as a father because, because of the urgency of getting him there, they actually had security guards in the hospital escorting us from the Ross to the NICU and they had, it was like, he got his, he came into the world with like a presidential escort. They were, um, they were actually holding elevators. So they had security guards strategically placed at elevators, holding the doors open. So no one could call the elevators at the floors that we needed them to. Cause we had to go from the fourth floor of the Ross down to the second floor. Then we had to transition through the main part of OSU, get onto another elevator and then go up to the floor that the NICU was on. Um, And it was like, you know, that rush was just crazy. They briefly stopped for a moment so that I could see him. And then after that, it was just the rush was on. And I was just like, after they stopped, I didn't even care that they stopped, but they stopped for me, saw him. And I'm just like, go, go, let's go, let's go. So we were basically running through the halls um, and then in this point in time, they were, you know, probably getting crystal kind of, um, you know, sutured up and everything from the operation, um, and transferring her over. So I believe by the time we got over to the NICU, they got him in there 
um, one of the nurses came out and let us know he was settled in and everything. And I think about this point in time, uh, Crystal had already made her way back to the recovery room post-op. And then it was, what, probably within an hour? I don't know. I just remembered I was at the point where they were just about to let me start eating ice chips. And then all of a sudden they're like, hold on, don't you can't have those. And I'm like, okay. And I remember telling the nurse like something didn't feel right. And she's like, well, honey, you just had a baby, you just had surgery, you know, your belly's kind of going to feel weird, but let me check you. And then all of a sudden, like my, I guess my blood pressure started plummeting and they're burning fluids and blood and all kinds of stuff in. And all of a sudden, Dr. Colombo, the, the OB doctor comes in and he does an ultrasound at the bedside. And I think he was a rip at NICU at the time. I think he had taken my mom over at that time. And um, he's like, it looks like you're bleeding internally. He's like, it may be your uterus. He's like, we may have to take your uterus. He's like, I'm not sure. There might just be a little bit of, you know, leftover remnants. He's like, you know, it should be, it should be a big deal. And I was like, okay. Well, I went in and then I came out not realizing that 12 days had passed because Mm. I remember waking up and talking to pastor Micah at some point. And I was like, are you, are you still here? And he's like, what day do you think it is? And I'm like Friday. And he's like, Crystal, you've been sleeping for about 12 days. And I'm like, like so confusing. Like I had no idea what was going on all the while. I, was having nightmares from hell and that's the part really really rough on me now so I think he's got a lot more to say about what happened in the um during my nap (laughs) Bryce talk about that what was running through your mind I guess those 12 days um as your as your wife is still asleep in in a coma it was day one, I will say for sure, was the hardest day for me. Um, I think we prepared for the initial operation, delivery. You know, I, I mentally prepared for that. I was ready for that. And then when I got the call about the, the second procedure for her to have to go back into surgery, I think that one made me more nervous than her going in to have Camden um, because it was an unknown. But then it was, you know, that was probably, you know, an hour or two in to her going back in. And then it went to three hours to four hours to five hours. And I think by the end of it, it was probably approaching six to seven hours that she was actually back in surgery because even after they took her uterus out, they still couldn't figure out where the bleeding was coming from. Mm. They just kind of packed her up and sent her off to the ICU at the Ross. Um, you know, really wasn't, you know, much more I can do. It was getting late. It had already been a long day. We'd already been up since, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning. Um, so I remember saying my goodbyes to my mom on her mom, whoever else was there. And I went back to the room that they had held for us. Um, and that night I can remember it was the, the last time in those 12 days that I cried and I cried out to God that night. I got down on my knees 
in that hospital room and I cried out to him and I said, God, you brought us this far. And I know that you do not start something that you don't intend to finish. And at that moment in time, I literally, literally gave it all to him. I gave it all to him and trusted him with the, the next 12 days of my life. About two days in, uh, there was an intensivist, uh, just one of the head doctors in my uh, that I talked to. And he said he had been by her bedside for two days. He said he had been there for 48 hours, had barely slept. Um, and they had done all they could do. They brought in every doctor, every specialist in the hospital from every division that could possibly remotely have contributed to possibly figuring out what was wrong with her. Um, and still at this point in time, they had no idea where the bleeding was coming from. She was basically just literally seeping blood from the inside of her body is basically what it came down to. Cause they had physically removed all of her organs that were remaining in her abdomen. Um, and there were no issues there. It was basically like the walls of her body on the inside were just seeping blood. Um, mm. They brought in a uh, it, something that they use in the military on battlefields. I believe it's called Factor Seven uh, to try to see if that would stop the bleeding. It seemed like every single thing, nothing that they tried worked. And I remember standing in her room with the doctor and telling him in that moment. It was like, I heard God tell me to tell him after he said that they had done all they can do. It was like, God was like, okay, now it's time for me to work. And I told, I don't think I would ever have the confidence to say this to a doctor without God. Is I told the doctor, okay, you need to get some rest now. And it was like, to this moment, like, I know that that was God because why would a husband who's staring down his wife laying in an ICU bed hooked up to ventilators and everything else tell the doctor that's supposed to be saving her life, you need to get some rest. Go take care of yourself. Because I knew that God was going to take over and God was in control of the situation and that so many times in our lives we want to feel like we're in control and in especially having for doctors they are given not a sense of control but they're giving a responsibility to save our lives and i could see the stress and the burden in his face that he couldn't do anything and basically almost like he had to tell me your wife's going to die and i knew that wasn't the case though Shortly thereafter that, Pastor Micah called me up and he was telling me a story in the Bible about when Jesus gets called to the uh, house of the, the family with the young daughter who had just passed away. And he gets called in and when he tells the young girl to arise, he says, Talitha Kumai to her. And, and Pastor Micah told me, he was like, Bryce, I want you to take it. I don't know how you're going to do it. He's like, I need you to write that down. And he was like, I need you to take it in. And I want you to lay that with crystal. And I remember writing that down and taking it in. And I laid it on her chest. What was that again? 
So the note that I put on there was uh, Talitha Kumai. And what does that mean? What simply means basically the damsel arise or daughter arise. Um, the verse that it was taken from is when Jesus uh, was brought in because a, a daughter had died. Um, the mother, father uh, brought Jesus in to see if he could help at all. And he went in and said, Talitha Kumai to the little girl. And she woke up after that. And I kid you not, within, I would say less than 48 hours, but possibly 24, the bleeding stopped. And after days and days of them trying to figure out, you know, where it was coming from, what was happening, it just stopped. So where were you at then, Bryce, 12 days into it, when your wife did finally wake up? So they were, for the most part, they were actually keeping her in a, it was a drug-induced coma. Okay. Because of the, the pain. So it was something, something essentially that at any point in time, they could wake her up. It was just a matter of they were keeping her there because of the pain. Okay. Um, so I was actually at work when um, they got to the point where they felt comfortable enough that she was at a spot where um, they could wake her up. So with you, Crystal, so you're waking up, Pastor Mike is there. You think it's, you think it's still Friday. What's, you said at one point you were having like these nightmares while you were sleeping. What were your nightmares entailing? The one that I, well, they're all still very vivid, but one of them was that he was having an affair with the nurses. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something like with the baby or spiritual. Oh, like it was going to be, no, yeah, they, it was with. <laughs> they, were, they were bad. No, so this one, it was so weird too. Poor Bryce. Because, and I, and I, it must have been because they were kind of cutting the meds slowly. I might have had small glimpses of reality, but it was mixed with drugs, obviously, that was keeping me asleep. But they were just so, so traumatic to me because they were so real. Mm-hmm. And it was so real that they woke me up on our anniversary and he was sitting there um, with a card and a gift a willow tree um and he you know presents this to me and i just gave him a dirty dirty look and he had no idea why poor bride and i guess at one point i had talked to pastor mike about helping me get a divorce and i told what? him Bryce was cheating on me and he's like crystal Bryce's like pastor mike tell her tell her the truth hey dad tell her tell her what's going on yeah so it was it was pretty real i mean they were they were very real to me so how many days were in the hospital crystal um total i was in there for 73 days and camden was there for 76 days oh my goodness wow so one pound 10 ounces 11 11 ounces how how long was he um 13 and three quarters Oh my gosh. And how is he today? Um, he's nine and he's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. He he is such a special kid. Oh my goodness. For as early as he was, he's really, really healthy compared to a lot. Um 
this kid, Pastor Micah, when he, when we had him dedicated, Pastor Micah, you know, he has said this kid's going to do miraculous things. And Camden's heart for God is just amazing at nine years old. Like, I just, his heart for other people. I mean, his teachers are like, he's such a special boy. He just loves everybody. He's so kind. And his heart is just, just so sweet. I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't even have words. Can you share the dream that you had around Camden's birthday with Steph that you told me over the phone? Yeah. So every year around Camden's birthday, I get very emotional. Um, I have, I've never been diagnosed with PTSD, but I'm pretty positive I have it. So I was standing doing dishes, preparing for his party. And I had this vision and I've never had visions before. Like this was plain as day vision, like it was happening in front of me. But it was of Jesus walking from the outside of my room in the hallways, just pacing in front of my hospital door. Like he was waiting for his turn to come in. So all the doctors had come in. Everybody did what they could do. People are praying. All of this stuff is chaotic. And it wasn't until people were like, we've done everything we can do. I don't know what else to do. And then God was like, all right, it's my turn. I got to wait for them to just do their thing. I'm going to be a gentleman like I am, and I'm going to wait my turn. And then when they're done, I'm going to go in and do my thing. And that vision was plain as day as everybody's around my bed, trying to do what they're doing, scrambling. And he's just out there slowly pacing right in front of my door. It was just crazy. Wow. She's never told me that about that vision. And it makes a hundred percent sense to me because that was the calm that I felt in that room in that moment was that to a T like God was there waiting his turn a hundred percent to say, you know, okay, like my turn, tag me in now, let's go and get this done. And that's, yeah. As soon as she, when she said that just now, like it brought the biggest smile to my face. Cause I'm just like, that's our God right there. Well, Steph, do you have any other questions? No, thank you for not telling me and spoiling it. That was really good. That was a really good story, you guys. And then here's the thing. Here's what's funny to me. Pastor Micah totally undersold this story. Yeah. Again, I, Bryce, I had no idea. He that was, was like amazing. there when your wife wakes up and yeah. there with you when Camden's born. Yeah, that was amazing. I didn't know he was like that involved like th- throughout this process. Well, it just yeah. shows his character too because like he yeah. just does so much for his people and i love that so it'll be 10 years in september is that right wait when was he born uh september 23rd 2011 whoa one day we were literally in the hospital our daughter was born on the 22nd at ohio state at ohio state at ohio state wow <laughs> okay, well then, why didn't Pastor Micah come to see our baby why didn't he when, come since see he us? was right there in the hospital already? What? what That's what I want to know. Pastor Micah, was your baby in the NICU or just in the regular nursery? No, just regular, regular. So but, we still would have been like those doors to like yeah. their wing is like right there. By yeah. Them. Yes. Holy exactly. Wow. He was in the building at the same exact <laughs> time. The whole time. 
He never thought to come see us. All right, I am <laughs> going to have words with that man as soon as we get off this call. Leave like, listen, call. bro, you were like 100 feet away from us. <laughs> you were literally right there. Yes. Pray over <laughs> us, too. We need some help, too, on our end. Like, we need prayers. I mean, shit. Right? That's well, it's crazy wild. because you said you had mentioned and you didn't say the date, but I just had this feeling that we were at the same time because you said 2011. I'm like, huh. And you're like, Friday. I'm like, huh. Because we were there Thursday when Emmy was born. Yeah. But that's just crazy that that's all of that wild. happened. Isn't I told, it? I told Bryce to get Camden so you guys can see him. So. Oh, we would love oh. that. So is he third grade? He is. He's okay. in third grade. Come here, honey. You want to say hi to our new friends? Hi. Hi, Camden. Hi, Camden. We just heard all about you, buddy. There you go. There we go. Now we can see those eyes of yours. Oh, my gosh. Dude, you are a miracle. You know that? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You are such a special, special little guy. And good looking. Holy cow. You are a cutie. Uh, well, hey, Camden, next time I'm at Storyside Church, I want to come find you, and I'm going to give you a fist bump, okay? Because I heard you are like the most special kid ever, <laughs> For and sure. I absolutely want to come meet you <laughs> and get a picture with you, big that guy. That would be awesome. I feel headset cool. He loves, he loves anything to do with like um, gaming and stuff like that, so he wants to be a YouTuber. So okay. I got him a headset like your guys. Oh, oh yeah. so cool. So we have these cool headsets because it's hard for us to tell stories and we're real animated. Yeah. And don't have to worry about putting a microphone right in front of our face. So I'm going to go get my headset. Oh, oh good. We're we going to match. I we're love match. it. I oh. love it. Yeah, well, definitely all that stuff. So, so. Oh. so you well, have a daughter, you said, right? Yep. A daughter. Okay. Yep. What's her name? Her name's Emmy. Emmy, okay. Yeah. Emmy, L, and Tate. Emmy, L, and Tate. So we've got. But if you ask Tate his name, he's Tate Man. He's Tate Man. Tate Man. Like like a superhero. Yeah. He's Tate Man. Tate Man. Yeah. So it's fun. Okay, I can't wait to see Camden here. Camden! Oh my gosh! Yes! (laughs) Yes, you got your headset on. We got our headset on. We're so cool. We match. Oh, oh and look at that. the microphone. Oh my gosh. Dude, yes. You're so you could be on our podcast with us. You should have given that to your dad. Yeah. To to have that on during the conversation. Oh, that is I so cool. Love it. I love it, Camden. You're like the coolest dude ever. Totally. Coolest dude ever. But uh all right. Thank and you. And I'm gonna guys. give Pastor Micah a call right now. <laughs> Do it. Do it. It'll be so funny. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. It's completely free, you guys. This helps us out big time with the folks who track this stuff. If you haven't already, we want to encourage you to please rate or even write us a review on Apple Podcast. We need as many as we possibly can, even if it's just one sentence. Thank you for listening, you guys, and sharing us with your friends. 